welcome back to today's edition of Fresh New Shorts, a collection of short stories written and read by the author. This series is following the collection of stories found in the book A Physicist Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena by author John Blackmore. In today's story, The Tornado Lovers, a woman credits learning French for saving her life. Her pilgrimage to France is interrupted by a natural phenomena and a pair of young lovers with risky appetites. The Tornado Lovers During her cancer year, Bernard watched his wife assume a variety of disguises to evade the disease. Forever a car person, she began to ride a bicycle, but not polite bicycles with wicker baskets. Between therapies, she thrashed knobby-tired, moon-mission-ready bikes through heat and deluge. Charlotte jumped the curbs, rode the stairs, dressed in bike courier's mix of Mad Max rags and Gore-Tex. She became a vegan. She took up at least three forms of yoga. Bernard hadn't known there was more than one. She read the Upanishads. She flung herself from planes. Bernard, standing in fields of fallen cornstalks, binoculars trained on silver glints of Cessna, the wrenching, violent plummet, and then Charlotte floating to earth like dandelion fluff. She marched for East Timor, Darfur, the right to choose. She marched against the war, the destruction of rainforests, spy cameras in schools. She made her own juice from fruits Bernard had never heard of before. She created Facebook and Instagram pages. She bought Peruvian pottery on eBay. She played the Bowron. She learned French. And of all these cloaks, it was French, she was convinced, that saved her. She had downloaded a New Yorker podcast on linguistics, a hypothesis that language changed the way you thought, the way you dreamt. Bernard knew the world we think is constant, actually varies by perception. But the podcast's central thesis contended language did not reflect those perceptions, it shaped them. So Russian speakers inhabited a different earth than English speakers. Verb tenses, sentence construction, gerunds, cases, and all the other arcana of grammar made your world your world. It fascinated Charlotte. She showed Bernard brain scans swirling with reds and oranges and blues like weather maps of hurricanes from space. The idea of thinking anew, dreaming afresh after 49 years of American days and nights appealed to her. Perhaps, perhaps, a new French-wired Charlotte, so belle a name already, would escape while the tumors ravaged her Anglo-Saxon doppelganger. Whether it was surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, or Berlitz, Charlotte Française survived. She put the victory down to her transformations, skillful dodges like a Toreador's dance with bulls. Of them all, she lauded French the most. So it was, at the one-year anniversary of Cancer Freedom, she booked their four-week pilgrimage to France. Their Citroën crunched up the gravel driveway that led to the chateau. Charlotte had miraculously spotted the sign off the highway as they drove towards the Normandy coast. 
Signage was not a French strength, Bernard had decided. Signage was not likely found in their Larousse. The rock-crackling sound engulfed the car like pebbles rattling in a tube. A picture of Katie popped into his mind. Memories did that now, apparating suddenly, squeezed out from the weight of so much history piled on top. His little Katie with pigtails. The Bernard with dark hair. Katie was in grade four and he was helping her craft a rainmaker for music class driving small nails into a mailing tube and carefully pouring rice into one end. The two of them amazed by the voice that grains of rice could muster. He imagined external mics attached to the undercarriage of the car to carry the noise. It was such a European sound. A gravel driveway back home would not sound that way. It was the same with shoes on the stone sidewalks and roads. European wood-bottom brogues clipped brightly, almost like tap shoes. His sensible rock ports, waterproof breathable, were muted by their practicality. I know we have to get to La Rochelle, but I couldn't. You don't mind. Charlotte didn't even inflect her voice to indicate a question. Still, he looked at his watch and then up the long walk to what seemed to be an entrance. Then, shrugging, to show that he did mind, even if she didn't care, though really he didn't, and really they both knew it. She bounded ahead of him. She was growing younger than him every day. He decided to stroll and enjoy the sound of the gravel. You could feel like a baron in a place like this, a lord. It was a small chateau, more of a large manor house, really. But he still found himself considering... How would he array his foot soldiers, his archers, his catapult? High on a two-story parapet, a cobalt peacock fluoresced, fanning its eye-filled tail against the darkening sky. From what little Bernard understood on the radio, there would be a storm. He couldn't tell if it was coming from the sea or inland. The birds stepped in jerking pizzicatos, indifferent to them or the forecast. He wondered what it mattered, a storm's direction. Charlotte was waiting in a stone alcove beside an ogre-sized wooden door. Empty torch cages flanked the entrance. A heavy iron hoop through the mouth of a lion stuck from the door's center. He stepped towards it and rapped, setting off hollow reverberations that seemed to go straight to the center of the earth. You've heard of this winery, he asked. It was written up in Wine Spectator, Chateau de Loiselle Ruby. It's an undiscovered gem. She laughed. He didn't understand the French, but there seemed to be a joke. He coughed loudly, signaling his disbelief in gems. In any case, he felt people made too much about wine. He liked to buy the new brands with names like Cat's Piss and Rotten Grape, to show what he thought about onophiles. It's supposed to produce an amazing Syrah, she said. He nodded less grumpily. Not that he cared more for the grape, but just that he didn't want the day to spiral downward and be held blame for it. They waited. He shrugged and knocked again. Perhaps they're out picking, he said. 
She knocked on the door too. They listened as the sound traveled into the heart of the castle. He cocked his head to one side to listen more intently and was rewarded with a pock sound. Footsteps? He strained his hearing as he did with French conversations. A pick, pock, bloop. He looked back to the parapet. The peacock was gone. Black spots freckled the undefended walls. It was raining. He pointed to it, indicating it was her fault. She wrapped the iron hoop again, ignoring his offer of guilt. It began to pelt rain, and then team. He raised his shoulders as if the rain threatened him in the alcove. What do we do now? She looked at him like he was slow. It's dry here. We have to get to La Rochelle. There's a schedule? Really, Bernard? Who cares? It's my vacation, she said. The sky opened up to her dare, rain bouncing wildly off the gravel walk and settling into a steady pour. They waited. He remembered the time in Florence, how they huddled tightly in a doorwell while rain poured around them. Her young body pressed into his. They kissed as if they were Italians. He looked over at her in the alcove. She was leafing through a guidebook. Goddamn guidebooks, he thought. He had known there were so many. Charlotte had brought 40 pounds of guidebooks for the country, for the regions, for the trains, for the wineries, for the restaurants, for the hotels. In Florence, they didn't even have one. They never knew when anything opened or when anything closed. They ate shitty meals and drank shitty wine and booked shitty hotels. But each night they made love like, like, what are you thinking? She asked. Athletes, he said. Athletes. She looked around him to see what provoked his thought. No, he said. No, pirates. Maybe that was more like it. Wedged in the Florentine doorwell, he had slipped his hand underneath her skirt and cupped the cheek of her bottom in the girlish thin white cotton underwear she wore back then. Pirates, she said. She lowered her nose at him. He walked towards her. His rock ports made no sound, and she turned back to her guidebook. She was paging through, searching for this winery, perhaps to get the phone number. She was always two steps ahead. He wondered if he could move into her, if they would kiss on the porch, if they would still do those things. She looked up as he was one step away. She reached over and hooked one hand in the gap allowed by the buttons of his blue Oxford cloth shirt. Her finger touched his skin near the scar from his hernia operation. I know what you're thinking, she said. And what's that? She held his gaze and he attempted the transmission of gigabytes of memory through the air along the invisible line from his eyes to hers. Rain stopped, she said, unhooking her fingers. Let's go. She bounded past him and down the path to the car. Bernard reluctantly loped after her. His left knee started to burn with the stride, but he kept going. The cartilage had worn thin. This knee that had powered college layups and jump shots, now crackly and noisy, 
like the gravel driveway, like Katie's Rainmaker, boxed somewhere in the basement, along with his trophies, their Florentine pictures, her wig from last year. They're talking about the storm, aren't they? Bernard said, taking one hand off the stick shift to point at the radio. They were on the road again to La Rochelle, a narrow two-lane byway that snaked along the flat coast in and out of insanely vibrant fields of poppies and sunflowers. They were, she said. They're talking about the mayor of Rennes now. Apparently, his construction company built a library for the town and they let the tender without bids. Bernard listened intently, willing his high school French to perform. His dreams, his world, were still grounded in America's English. They're calling for his resignation, but he says that a similar library in Nantes was built at twice the cost. Wren got a deal. He was straining to hear while staring out the front window, not looking at her, concentrating on the babble French. There's a motorcycle stopped ahead, Charlotte said. He had seen it too. It was parked half in the lane given how narrow the road was. He was unconsciously preparing to pass it. Shouldn't you see what it is? What? Well, why would someone stop here? Charlotte asked. Bernard slowed. I don't know. Have a pee. The French pee everywhere. She wasn't looking at him. She was staring out her window, and obligingly he slowed more as they passed. You should stop. Bernard threw up his hands in overexpressed exasperation, but pulled over. There was perhaps six inches of shoulder. He slipped the gear to neutral and made a big ripping show of pulling the handbrake back. So now what? he asked. Why are you always so miffed? I'm not, he said. She arched her eyes and turned away from him. It's still about that thing, Charlotte said. I told you I'd let that go. I'm just saying there's something. Well, it's not because of that thing. He hated to talk about it, acknowledge it. It made him less Bernard every time. The only way through it was to say you were bigger than it, than what she did. You say you forgive, but I did. I did forgive you, for God's sake. She snorted a laugh. Her anger blood was flowing now. He could smell it heating up and starting to melt through to the surface. You'd rather I had died. Charlotte, you selfish bastard. You two-faced bastard. You like to pretend you're the perfect husband, all caring and all forgiving. But you're just a crotchety old man, ready to grumble at the sun because... because it's too hot. Christ, why I took you to France. Why would I let you come all the way here and ruin France, when France is what saved me? It wasn't you. It wasn't you by God. He held out his hand as if to still the air, a split second, a split second to decide to argue back, to yell, to go down the bile and glass-splattered paths they've stumbled so many times before, or, or to be the Buddha, calm and loving, breaking the cycle, reaching out with kindness. She flung her door open. He'd waited too long. He'd lost all initiative. Great sunflowers with absurdly large and drooping golden heads spilled into their car. She pushed herself into them, checking them like a hockey player. Charlotte, he finally called. 
She slammed the door. She walked ahead about 20 feet and stopped. Small and hard, a sparrow with her blunt-cut red hair and closed tight to her lean body. He gripped the steering wheel and then hit his hand into it, hard, five times, he swore. He could feel the vein at his neck inflate like a tire tube. The vein ten-year-old Katie had called the juggler. The sanguine humors roiling red in his face, the scratchy rawness in his throat. Childishly, he blew the horn. Once, twice, he leaned on it for perhaps three seconds. A long time for such an angry, loud sound. Charlotte was ignoring him. But then she turned to the sunflowers, swung round, and ran skittishly towards the car. Bernard jumped out. There's somebody in the field, she said. It was a shock to hear the fright, the waver in her voice, the timbre he remembered from that year. He caught her. She forgot for one delicious moment that he was a selfish bastard. He held her tightly. Pirates could face whatever was in the sunflower field. The girl emerged first, tall, willowy, a sweatshirt cropped above her midriff, low black yoga pants displaying the bone limits of her boyish pelvis. The shiny stone set in her navel gazed out. She put her hands on her hips and stared at him, as if she had just stepped from the deck of her own Jolly Roger. Pourquoi faites-vous ce prier? The boy came out next. A shag of black curls, black stubble, black t-shirt, with a band's name he'd never heard of. Those new jeans they wore now. Jesus sandals. What a gorgeous couple, he thought. There is a problem with the car? The boy asked. He dug his hands into tight slit pockets. Bernard snorted. He doubted the boy had any idea how to fix an engine. No, it was just a fight, Bernard said. Charlotte disengaged from him. Bernard, God. I'm sorry. Nous avons une frappe, he said. He ground his fists together. The gorgeous couple, they should be on billboards, regarded him for a moment. The girl smiled. She began to laugh. She was even more beautiful when she laughed. We wait for the tornado, the boy said. He pointed down the road where the sky was grimly charcoal. The boy made a spiraling motion with his hand. The girl was still looking at Bernard. And uh, Monsieur Renette, we sit in the field and wait together. There's a tornado, Bernard asked. He repeated the boy's spiral motion. The radio said there was to be a storm coming up the coast, Charlotte said. Bernard nodded. So did the girl. We wanted to see the tornado, to be in the field as it came. The girl's pale cheeks rouged. Charlotte and Bernard shielded their eyes to stare down the road. It had become the blackest sky he had ever seen, as if the world was ending just up ahead, as if something had eaten the Normandy coast and was moving its way inland. A lick of wind threatened to move Charlotte's tight hair. It had grown back so thickly and redder, the hair of another woman. The girl pointed, Regardez! Off, away from them, 
A drooping blackness seeped down into the buttery lake of sunflowers. The girl cozied up to the boy. His hands were on the bones of her hips. Fantastique, the boy shouted. He pointed with one hand and hitched his other hand into the waistband of the girl's elasticy pants. The black wax sky melted in one slow spiral to the earth. It was not the dramatic tornadoes Bernard had seen on television. The American twisters that pitched mobile homes and ripped the roofs from Baptist churches and flattened fields of green corn. This spiral leaned on its side like the tower in Pisa. It seemed to play with the idea of touching down, dipping its toe in the sunflower lake like a reluctant swimmer. Its lack of drama and size compensated by this ballerina grace. It was one of the most singularly amazing things Bernard had ever seen. The girl leaned back into the boy and wrapped her hands backwards around his neck. Charlotte was looking at them. God, she whispered. Bernard shrugged. Some people find danger exciting, he said. How would you know? His jugular inflated and threatened to burst. In other days, at other times, it might have. He shrugged again and opened the door and sat in the car. To hell with them all. The faraway whirlwind danced with the yellow land, unsure whether it was ready to touch down or simply wisp away. Bernard closed his eyes. He had been a swimmer. He had frightened people with his swimming. As a boy, he rose before the others and left notes to say he was playing baseball with the kids from the reserve, and then set out, daring the great northern lakes with a relentless crawl. Once, too far off land in Georgian Bay, the wind blew up into a sudden fury, whipping the fresh water into sea-like swells. Bernard did the travel stroke for over an hour, patiently working the storm, submerging to the calm world underwater for length after length. The thought that his parents would scour the baseball diamonds looking for him, when here he was, just a part of the water, one with the water, breathing, submerging, breathing, submerging, breathing, and then frog-kicking and pulling the water to inch patiently towards shore, secure in his own invincibility, and somehow aware that, if it all turned for the worst, he would simply join the water rather than be defeated by it. He opened his eyes as he heard the door latch. Charlotte sat in and pulled her seatbelt. So, she said, yes, I don't want to sit here all day with these kids. No. So, she said again, it's just high winds. It's not like they have tornadoes in France. The guidebooks don't talk about tornadoes. I studied a lot of French and read a lot about this country, and I don't ever remember reading about tornadoes. Bernard looked out the windshield at the dead black sky ahead. He shrugged. He turned the key and put the Citroën into gear, driving towards the wavering disturbance. The air became darker and more electrically charged as they drove. He felt static prickle the hair on his arm. 
The radio lost music and gained fuzz. There's no funnel to see, just the vague feeling of an invisible threat like radiation or carbon monoxide. Charlotte had her elbow on the closed window ledge, holding her brow, shielding her eyes as if working to keep a headache inside. A sudden thud hit the side of the car. What's that? she burst. Bernard swerved off, breaking on the thin shoulder. He swung round to look behind them. A swirling blizzard of decapitated sunflowers spun towards them and engulfed the car. Boo, boo, doo, doo, boo, 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 over and over, the Citroën thudding in a hail of blossoms. The tornado had reappeared somehow behind them. It roared inchoately, all bluster and wind and self-important energy. Bernard stared into it, and it beckoned him. Perhaps there was another world on the other side, a quieter world beyond the fury, like the peaceful kingdoms beneath the cold green tumult of northern lakes in summer. For God's sake, Charlotte screamed over the barrage. She dove towards him, burying her sparrow's head into his shoulder. He cupped her body with his right arm, pulling her deep into him. He reached across with his left hand and put the car in gear. He gripped the wheel and slid into forward motion. He changed gears with his left, steering with his knees, not letting go of Charlotte, as if new forces now threatened to take her. They hurtled towards the edge of the continent. For perhaps ten delicious minutes, he held her until her sobbing ebbed and dampened to nothing. She uncoupled from him. She was silent. She smoothed her saffron hair and daubed her eyes carefully. Her face broke, and she laughed nervously. He looked over at her. She smiled back at him, reached towards him, hesitated, and then touched his shoulder. He reached up with his right hand and held hers. He kept his hand on hers, and they drove towards La Rochelle. In another ten minutes, she withdrew her hand. She opened a guidebook. Bernard heard the roaring of the motorcycle before Charlotte. The pretty girl wrapped around the boy's waist, as if riding him rather than the bike. The tornado lovers. No helmets. Hair wild in the wicked acceleration. And like all those natural phenomena, suddenly distant on the horizon, and then gone. listening to this episode of Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed this story, please rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find the book, A Physicist Guide to Love by John Blackmore on amazon.com, or your country site. Please subscribe and come back to listen to us again. <laughs>